Welcome to the Bluminati podcast with Nathan, Colin Sherwin, and a very special guest, USF Vice President of Athletics, Michael Kelly. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming back on here. Hey, thank you. Great to see you guys again. Hope you're doing well. Same to you. How How's uh, quarantine life uh, treating you? Well, um, similar to I'm sure every single listener, it's it's different times, hard times, but uh, but uh, we're we're going fine, and it's just uh, it's just a lot to deal with on a professional level. And but we we know good times are ahead, and it's what we what we need to do to propel the Bulls forward. So uh, it is like Groundhog Day. I, I haven't watched the movie on purpose just to just to not hear the "I Got You, Babe" song every morning, but it does seem that way when I wake up every every morning. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, I mean, let's just jump into it. We, you know, with Colin, I think you kind of wanted to start out with uh, something that kind of came up uh, over the last couple of days here. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of things. So, so one, there was a piece in Sports Business Journal that said USF might be looking at potentially cutting sports. It was just a one line and a but a very, you know, well-sourced and, and industry leading publication. I have two questions here. One you sent out a letter yesterday saying that the cancellation of the NCAA March Madness Tournament and the American Athletic Conference spring events has severely limited the incoming revenue from the conference, the NCAA, and our television partnership. Combined, the expected hit to our upcoming budget for the 2021 athletic year will be in the millions. The collective hit has knocked us down, and we need your help to get back up. Are we potentially looking at losing sports at USF for one? And for two, as I see it right now, we have the NCAA minimum of 16 NCAA sports as well as sailing, which makes 17. Um, if a waiver was granted by the NCAA to allow Division One schools to drop a couple of sports, whether for a short-term period of years or long-term, is that something you can possibly be doing? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I found it stunning for Michael Smith to write that. I haven't talked to Michael Smith since the Women's Final Four last year. Um, and as I read it more closely, he was he was taking our. It's looks like he took an excerpt of, of some things I was quoted on to say that next year's budget we've been taking an approach as we go through the budget process of of taking our operational costs uh, down about fifteen percent. So that that is my goal. But I've, if you would have the rest of it has also been that we did that without affecting any personnel, uh, any scholarships, uh, and certainly not without the dropping of any sports. So. I'll just say that that hasn't been discussed. That hasn't been contemplated. It would be the very last thing I would want to do. And so it, it's just not been a factor for, for me at this point in time. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And, and you know, that was uh, what was kind of so jarring because it was such a juxtaposition to what you've you know said publicly to us privately and some of the, these zoom meetings with, you know, donors is that's the last thing we want to do. So seeing, okay, we're going to be cutting 15% of the budget. It seemed like that was the, the course of action. So it's good to hear from you that that's not the, you know, the course uh, here. Um, yeah. And it seems to me that Michael just, uh, he might just piece that together, seeing 10 to 15%. And how are you doing that? Well, we've already, you know, we've achieved that in our budget exercise and, and without, without doing that. So it's, it's painful. It's, it's hard to do, but as, as I expressed before, I've just, we've just been working with each, each department head or each coach to say, look, we've got to cut back. What's the best way to do that with your expertise of your program? And, and that's where we stand now. If things get uh, worse from an operational standpoint later and if it affects salaries, it affects other things, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But we haven't talked anything about, about any particular sport. So I, I think he just uh, – when I looked at it also, it said the, uh, the expert excerpt said that it was uh, just a, another evidence of G5 schools having a – tough time. So I think he just made that, 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 that next, uh, you know, 
assumption on, on, on his own. But uh, the reality is as hard as it is on G5, it's, it's, we, if we, if we don't have the revenue streams that people are accustomed to, it's going to be hard on, on anybody at this point. Whereas we all know how important uh, football is to USF athletics economics. Um, and, and we want to continue to build our, our crowds immensely. I mean, if you've got some folks that are, are, are making uh, the amount of money in one football game that we might make in a whole season, their, their budgets are going to get hit pretty darn hard too. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned football here and, you know, that, that big, you know, kind of what $1.9 million payday coming from Texas. Have you adjusted to potentially not have that revenue coming in? How, how does that kind of work with, uh, what is it force majeure where, you know, something out of the control of everyone kind of negates this and, and the payment, how, how is the, the department uh, kind of handled, uh, you know, the forethought of that? Oh, obviously we're, we're, we're hoping to get that game in as we want to get all of our games in. That's a huge opportunity for us, both competitive wise and, and business wise, you know, force majeure clauses or, or, you know, many insurance policies and things didn't contemplate pandemics being included in that. So it's, it's going to be a matter of interpretation amongst uh, legal uh, legal experts and that sort of thing. But we haven't had that conversation. Chris Del Conte and, and, and I are obviously leading departments that are intending to play and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move, move forward accordingly. Uh, you know, as I talked about, as we've, as we've tried to approach next fiscal year with uh, uh, knowing that, that no matter what happens, there's going to be a, an impact. We, we know it's going to be harder to raise uh, monies. We know it's going to be potentially harder for fans to go to go to games, no matter what the circumstance is. So it's only logical that we have to uh, approach it with a reduced revenue stream, and that's why we've challenged our department to go to a 15% uh, cut for for now. That's our that's our approach, and and uh, if we get back better than that, we'll we'll do even better. But to your good question, Nate, we're just. Uh, uh, we're just trying to 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 move forward and, and hope we we play that game. And if it's as currently scheduled, ninety nine days from now on September fifth, and we haven't heard anything to the contrary of that at this point. Uh, if we did go to a season where fans would either be limited and or not able to attend, if we had empty stands, is Corbett an option for football games instead of playing at Ray J? Obviously, there's a tremendous savings if you play on campus and and financially. You know, I don't know how the, the TSA would be able to work with you if you wanted to play it with empty stands at, at Ray J. But is that something that could potentially be on the table? That's good, very insightful, Colin. I mean, I, I have to I have to think of just about any possibility that, that you could. It's not something that's been in front of mind, because while that could accommodate a smaller crowd, you still have to take into account physical distancing measures. So uh, having the expertise of the Tampa Sports Authority, their best practices, the ability to spread out for a for a reduced uh, crowd to provide social uh, physical distancing would, would, would also be a, uh, an important uh, factor to consider. So, you know, I, I think you all have probably read this, but I have read with fascination this, this past week, an article that Ken Segura wrote in the Atlanta journal constitution uh, that really took a deep look at the 1918 college football season when the Spanish influenza was so prominent and world war one was so prominent. Uh, but it was fascinating to see so many parallels about the types of things we're all dealing with uh, society-wise, but also the fact that, uh, hey, we're going to have to be, just as we have been for these last few months, extremely nimble and flexible and, and, and creative to try to find solutions to things if, if things happen. If things don't go perfectly and according to plan, uh, we may have weeks where you might not be able to, some your opponent or you might not be able to play. And is there a chance, almost like, 
you know, similar to what some hurricanes have caused in the past, but this would be more exponential number of potential challenges that could, could happen in, in this type of environment. So that's also going to create the possibility of maybe uh, whether we don't get the entire non-conference in, if we don't get the entire conference slate in, how does how do those tiebreakers fit in? And, and I can't sit here now and tell you we've got that all solved, but I will tell you that that's been talked about amongst at least the American conferences, coaches, groups in each sport, and certainly amongst athletic directors. So lots of complications to be to be had. So uh, yeah, I'll say that's entered my mind, but it's certainly not uh, not 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 top of mind in terms of. Uh, uh, the next option I, I would intend to keep playing at uh, Raymond James and adjusting to their, it's a, it's a benefit when you can take advantage of their expertise in running, uh, running events each and every day and being able to implement, implement NFL best practices that I'm sure are going to be, uh, you know, amongst the best for us to follow. Yesterday, the football oversight committee said that they're going to ask the division one council to at least have six weeks of training camp for football. Are you on board with that? Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think you could do it with less teeth? What do, what do you think about what was put out yesterday? I think that's a good step in the right direction. I mean, I think we, we all just want at this point the, the most days that uh, can be allowed, but yet still be fair from a competitive standpoint for everyone to have a semblance of, of, of the same thing. I mean, right now when you see people returning to campus for voluntary workouts, you know, every, every municipality and every university is going to be a little bit different in that regard. And, but, but I think once you get to actual instruction time with the coaches, you want that to be as, as common as it possibly can. And so uh, if we can get our student athletes back into, into appropriate shape and give them that opportunity in the, in the months of June and early July, then that'll allow, uh, you know, I think six weeks is a, is a, is a prudent way to go. And to that point of bringing the, you know, the kids back on campus, um, you know, the, there's going to be a phased approach. How, how has the university, how has the department, uh, you know, start to prepare uh, for, for that phased approach to bring in, um, you know, the, the student athletes, football, men's and women's basketball? Yeah, it's been a fascinating process. Uh, it's been uh, uh, just, just a lot of, a lot of good people bringing their expertise to, to, to play and, and, and giving us the guidance. So you start with the medical professionals, not, not only that, the, what the medical task force, the NCA provides us, but there's a similar group from the American athletic conference that is really focused on more on the competition aspect of it for all sports. If we for starting on time, what kind of uh, procedures need to be in place for the visiting team? Uh, what kind of testing might be done or protocols before someone travels somewhere uh, diff- different ways if somebody got sick on the trip, how, how does that impact things? So, and, and then even the spacing, not even worrying about the fans yet, just the spacing of the bubble you might want to put around people that are uh, traveling with a particular team and trying to keep them as, as, a, as much of a clean unit, if you will, as possible moving, uh, moving around. So that's been the AAC's focus. Uh, from a University of South Florida standpoint, uh, Dr. Corral has, uh, I think, provided great leadership to the university as a whole. He's empowered uh, Dr. Donna Peterson, who's the Dean of the College of Public Health, to uh, lead the task force for return to all aspects of the university's operations, of which uh, I've been very appreciative of her inclusion and involvement of athletics as a special subset of that. And so they understand the uniqueness and the context of what we're dealing with. And, and as a result, uh, we've got target dates in mind for football, men's and women's basketball, the fall sports as being our priorities. Uh, to get back to be able to have those volunteer uh, voluntary um, uh, workouts, so uh, not I have target dates in mind for each of them. I think those plans will come true, but honestly, I have to keep that in alignment with the university process and and, and hope and think that I'll come to conclusion 
in the very near future. So we're moving, we've, we do have a lot of physical changes we've already put in place. For instance, we've put tents up by the football field already because we'll, we'll, we'll move some of our weight equipment out there to, to, to space it out to create as many workout environments as we can. We envision it being kind of in 10 person blocks, if you will, to, to, to maintain current physical distancing guidelines. So there's just a lot of logistics that we have to have to do to, to get that in place. So uh, we're, we're kind of getting everybody ready to go. Uh, so that when 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 I can kind of give that formal green light, we'll be we'll be ready to go. It's also interesting how it impacts even our overall staff in terms of uh, you know so many of them have worked quite effectively remotely. Uh, that may need to continue for a while because as you go into a phased approach, if we only want to let twenty five percent or what have you into the building, well, everybody's essential. I don't want anyone's feelings to be hurt, but we've got to bring the people back that are having the most interaction with our student athletes that are truly essential to get the, the main mission uh, under control. Last thing, let's, let's, uh, we only got you for a few, a few more minutes here. So let's do something non COVID related and, and try and uplift things a little bit. NIL rights. Uh, this is coming. We know it's coming. We don't know how the five commissioners of the power five sent a letter to Congress today saying, please help us. We don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? How is USF positioned to take advantage of NIL? Um, so far, the American has done everything that the Power Five has done, you know, in terms of um, cost of attendance and other measures going forward. I assume that is also on the plan here that, you know, full NIL rights will be conveyed to the students and that the league will support it just as the Power Five will. How is the school positioned and have you begun to have those conversations about, you know, how are these kids going to get paid? Yeah, obviously, there's still some parameters and guardrails about how much involvement that we can have. That'll be the big key for, for us in terms of, you know, that that's that's really what everyone has to get their arms around that, that you know, the, the great benefits that have come to student athletes, uh, particularly in recent years, in terms of improving cost of attendance, minimizing hours, all the right measures that have been taken for student athlete welfare. And this is another step in that, in that direction. But in all those steps, we've provided those directly. In this case, obviously, we won't be paying them additional for that. Uh, I keep pay, making the case in point. I, 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 as Michael Kelly, a student athlete, I'm so reliant on going into the compliance office and, hey, where's my scholarship check? Where's my uh, cost of attendance, my food check? It, whatever it is, and, and we were able to process that. If I roll in there and say, hey, where's my uh, Panera check? Uh, I'm going to look at you and like, well, I, I, I didn't set that deal up. You, you did that deal. And so it, it's, just a, it's a new mindset that we – hopefully we'll be able to educate, help educate our student athletes because if they're entitled to it and the rules are there and it's clear to understand, I want our student athletes to be able to take advantage of it. I think we've done a good job in recent years of, of providing them uh, tools because I think the most instrumental way that our, our student athletes will take advantage of it is in the means of social media. And, uh, you know, our, as you, you two know probably better than anybody, our social uh, presence has increased dramatically over the past couple of years and, and, and mainly because of some tools we've helped provide our student athletes uh, to to get some access to some of their photos to build their followerships to uh, to, to empower them to to do that and so I think uh, that's where I think maybe people will see the biggest impact at the University of South Florida and and I just want to make sure that uh, we position them in the best way possible but that we also are living within whatever extent uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be a line about where we can educate versus where we can where we can assist but between uh, our, our progressive mindset in our athletic department and living in an amazing city like uh, the Tampa Bay community is, uh, I think our student athletes will be well positioned to take advantage of this opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, and Michael, I know you've got to run here. I do appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on the Bluminati podcast to discuss 
No, all things USF, given the last uh, couple of months here, I do appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, and I hope you and the family are continuing to stay safe. And, and hopefully we can see you uh, in person here shortly. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate the time and uh, uh, thinking about all of you and all of our Bulls fans out there. I can't wait to get back together because as I said at the outset, I'm proud to do this work, but uh, the, the, the things I love the most are seeing Bulls student athletes doing what they do to see interact with our staff and to, to see all of our fans. And, and I miss you guys. I know everybody misses each other and I can't wait to get back to that in that direction. I hope to uh, see you walking along the river walk as we go for our here very soon. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you. Well, Colin, uh, we appreciate Michael Kelly coming on and, and talking to us today. It was, you know, enlightening to uh, enlightening and reassuring to, uh, you know, hear that maybe the, the 15% budget cut, um, you know, including sports is not really uh, in the plans. He said, you know, the, the 15% already been taking it, taken out of their, their budget, which was, uh, you know, news to news to me, news to us. So it was, it was good to hear what were your thoughts on, uh, you know, his, you know, his interview, what, what kind of stood out to you, um, you know, as we spoke with him. Just the inherent responsibility and good guyness of Michael Kelly, I think, is um, what really shines through here. You know, so many other athletic departments are are not necessarily going about this the right way. I think that USF absolutely is. We're in good hands here, and I was, you know, reassured to hear him so stridently say something about, you know, which it's the easy, cheap option that so many athletic directors are going to and so many universities are going to. The commitment that USF has always had to Olympic sports is different than most institutions. It matters a little bit more USF. It's why you get such good attendance at softball. It's why you get such good attendance at women's basketball. You know, the the points of pride of like, you know, a golf team winning five straight conference championships matters. And that's something that doesn't necessarily always happen at schools that are pure institutions of USF. So I was really encouraged to see to see and hear that today. The other advantage that USF has is something that is normally a negative, but will actually kind of turn into a positive, which is that the students front about 40% of the budget for the school, <laughs> for the athletic department. And so when you're in the midst of a massive global pandemic where enrollment's going to be down all across the country, uh, USF is going to accept a full class in the fall. Uh, that's for two reasons. One, it's harder to get into USF than when you and I went there. That's for damn sure. I couldn't get in now. And things like the um, the academic progress report from the state that came out this week that showed that USF is meeting the academic goals of the institution at a better rate than any of the 10 Florida state schools. And they received a 94 rating, um, which was the highest of the, on a 100-point scale, which was the highest of the 10 in the state. So... Um, that means USF is academically doing well, which means that student tuition dollars are going to keep coming in the door, which is going to keep funding an athletic department that probably needs to take less money from students in the long run. But for right now, it's probably helpful to have. So um, a 15% budget cut isn't fun. It's not great, but it's also tolerable. And um, I think they're going to be able to, to get through this on the other side. And, um, you know, if they're not going to cut sports, then, you know, I think... We all need to write a check. Um, you know, I kicked in a little bit last time. I think I'm going to kick in a little bit more now, too. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's the thing, right? If USF can get through this without having to cut any sports or if, you know, if the NCAA does grant the waiver where you can drop below that, that minimum 16, you know, sport threshold and they still decide not to do that and 
I don't know what, you know, Michael Kelly or, you know, some of the head coaches are thinking about, you know, pay cuts or reducing salary for the time being. I think that's probably even further down the road. I think that may be the last step before really deciding to cut sports. And I, I think they've got a good group of head coaches and support staff around them to, you know, make, make the smart decision. And then, uh, you know, maybe previous administrations, this probably doesn't happen. And, Maybe a sport gets axed before anything else, and yep. and you know it, it's it's nice to to see and hear from from the man himself that that's the furthest thing on his mind right now. And, yeah. Oh, and, and the thing is, is people are saying, well, let's delay sports for like a couple of years. Let's you know maybe shut one down for a couple of seasons or whatever. Well, then you lose all your players, all your recruits, all your recruiting cycle, and you're starting all over, and it's actually more expensive to start over again. So, um, you know, the transition that uh, USF women's soccer is always the, the analogy that I use when this kind of stuff comes up. And um, that was a little before I worked in the athletic department, but I was there for like the tail end of when we started adding women's soccer. And I think it was like in 96, they were still a club sport. The university decided to send them to varsity. I think they played their first varsity season like 98. I might be wrong on those dates, but it was like two years later. And that one girl from the club team made it to the varsity. Um, it was a, you know, the Logan Fleck brought in an entire completely new class of girls that started the program and went forward. So stopping and starting a program sounds like, you know, outside the box, like it's something that could work. It doesn't really work. As far as sports, you got to have 16 to BD1 as of right now. That might change um, with the, with some upcoming rulings and some meetings. The, I know the D1 council is meeting next week about the football um, recommendations from the football oversight committee. Um, they might allow for some waivers to drop below 16 uh, varsity sports right now. USF has 17. If you count sailing sailing team though, really doesn't cost very much at all. Um, and it's great for title nine. So it's really sort of been a win-win um, because a lot of that program piggybacks on funding for the co-ed program um, through student activity fees. It's complicated financial that I could get into, but I'll, We'll let that go for now. Just know that that sailing is super duper cheap. Uh, it's also nice to have uh, a program that's on the St. Pete campus as well. Uh, the sailing program is not very expensive at all. Um, part of that is because it's funded by um, student activity fees that pay for the COVID team. So the varsity women's team piggybacks on some of that. It's a complicated thing I could get into. It's a lot. It's a lot. But just know that the sailing team doesn't cost very much money in the long run, especially as the boats are paid for. Um, and it's also a great thing to have the CP campus have that as well. So, um, that leaves you with 16 varsity sports, which is the minimum. Um, there would be title nine implications if you cut a women's sport. Um, it just, it would be in the best interest of the university. It, it very much seems like to just sort of keep going the way they're going. And especially the issue that we've always had is with the track program, especially the men's track program, which has been pretty not great, but they've hired a great new coach. They've really seemed to start to turn it around. Um, so to pull the plug on that at this point just doesn't seem like the timing would be terrible. Um, my volleyball program is not the cheapest. They do require uh, 12 full scholarships and mm -hmm. there's some travel budget there and some things like that. The facility is paid for. I think some of that scholarship money is endowed already. I'm not 100% sure on that. And uh, the the other problem with that is that it's the counterweight to football in terms of Title IX. So football and volleyball have always been equal in terms of uh, Title IX adding. So uh, because and you have to keep a minimum amount of women's team sports, and right now the women's team sports would be 
uh, soccer, softball. Actually, yeah, soccer and softball. And yeah, have to have a minimum of two teams, so that w- so they would still qualify that way. Um, but the point is that we're not cutting anything right now. Uh, that sounds really good. I think it's in the best interest of the program. I think it shows good management. Right, and, and you know, to that point, uh, say I'm looking at USF's uh, you know athletic budget through their documents, and uh, sailing costs one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is it's dirt cheap. Um, the one thing that did kind of catch my eye was uh, track and field, and men's cross country. Uh, you know, track and field, women's cross country. Um, their their travel budget is. Uh, wonky to say the least um you know it's 500 585,000 travel um total total expenses a little over a million um but again there's you get into title nine when you do that and the there's a couple of sports that you may think about like when we first saw the the you know snippet from the the SBJ or uh, you know newsletter, like okay, so what sport could they possibly cut? And we kind of went down the list. Women's golf is improving. Volleyball just got a new coach. I think I think uh, the new coach she's gonna. I think she can do well here. It just she she knows the program. She knows the ins and outs. She was a student here. Um, I think that's going to be key as you said eric jenkins for track and field and cross country has shown like three four minute improvements from the same races last year and you know it's, it always comes back to you know it's shocking what a little bit of coaching can do for uh, a team and and for players and you're never going to cut softball or uh you know women's tennis has been fantastic there's just not they're as lean as possible um, athletics wise, you know, maybe two years ago, we start thinking about, okay, what sports could we really cut? Um, but we're not like ECU or UConn where they, they sponsor more sports than they should. And right. if you saw the casualties of that. I think UConn's going to see the casualties of that. Um, here shortly, Cincinnati cut their men's soccer program who they weren't good, but you know, football can only prop them up for so long. And I USF's definitely in the best spot currently. Um, you know, in three months, it could be different. But right now, on May 29th, they're in the best spot they can possibly be, cutting the 15% off their operational budget and kind of going from there. And you, you want to see how these things will be handled differently and how these programs are run differently? Uh, let's see what happens down the street in the next six months. Because I'm going to be very interested to see how um, that program, which is we've always talked about the debt. Well, now you got less money coming in, and the debt and the notes still coming. And um, I will just be very interested to see if they make the same assessments that USF has down the street. Um, it's always been a different way that we've run the program. I could be wrong here. I'm not saying they're going to cut anything. I don't have any specific knowledge, but institutional history over the last several decades would indicate that they will handle this situation differently than USF will. So we'll see. Um, you know, even like the schools that sponsor a ton of sports that are privates, like, you know, Stanford, I just read an article. Um, they're, they're expecting a $200 and some million dollar shortfall across the entire university. Now they got a $27 billion endowment. So they can get away with these things a little bit better, but even they're talking about furloughing employees across the university um, and some cuts. 
So if it's hitting Stanford, it's going to hit everybody on some level. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. It's the way it is. But how it's handled, I think, is just as important as, as anything. And I think USF, for all of its flaws, and they are wanting, and we've discussed them ad infinitum for 10 years on this, 10 plus years on this website and longer than that uh, in the community. Um, for all of their flaws, there is probably no institution better suited because of the way that it is managed so conservatively um, that when these types of things hit, that we'll be okay. Um, exactly. And there's good, again, I can't stress enough the, the importance of good leadership during times like these. Uh, you have Dr. Corral and Michael Kelly, I think, simpatico in, in this endeavor. And it's going to be key. I know at, you know, my real job, I'm dealing with a lot of higher ed institutions with, uh, you know, their consulting firms and, and, you know, IT jobs. And, you know, I'm, I'm calling on to, you know, Ivy League schools in the Northeast that, you know, they've had to let go of their consultants and they're in a hiring freeze. And, you know, these are prestigious schools. They're not, they're not really, you know, known for athletics. They're, they're academic research institutions. Um, and, you know, they've had, they've been affected as well. And it's, that's just kind of how it's going to be across the country for a while. Um, luckily, USF um, is, as you mentioned, conservative in their approach. And uh, I think we'll, we'll be okay. We won't be great. I think we'll be right. okay. And uh, as far as I, the question that I think everybody's going to put in the back of their mind and hasn't been able to say is, well, how does this affect the building of the practice facility? Quite frankly, we just don't know yet. Um, those things are based on, on pro formas that you can summarily crumple up and throw in a trash can because they were based on donation money and you know economic projections uh, that no longer apply. So I think they're making progress towards this facility. I am not saying they don't put a shovel in the ground. Um, the optics around, let's right. say, 10 to 15% of university staff and having people on furlough and things like that, and then sticking a shovel in the ground to build a, a practice facility uh, aren't great. And that may be a factor. Um, but at this point, I, I haven't talked to anyone who's given me anything definitive one way or the other. Yes, athletics is a separate entity, but also, yes, they are a part of the greater institution. And so how that breaks down, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough politically to put a shovel in the ground while you've got people furloughed or people laid off or you know jobs that need to be filled. Even though technically the money that would fund that facility um, wouldn't necessarily... I mean, it, it, it's going to come from gifts that come from private donors that go to mm -hmm. athletics. Those don't pay for um, administrators in the College of Education. Those don't pay for grounds crew, you know, across campus. They didn't just not how the money works. But on the other hand, as part of the large university, we just don't know. Exactly. And uh, I think that's something key to, you know, also remember these, this, the IPF is privately funded completely. That's why it's taking forever. Um, you know, they can likely bond against it. I think that like at 85% of it, if they, if they have the money, they can bond against it. But I think doing that right now is an issue. Um, making sure 
something like the the golf center um, sponsorship doesn't happen, uh, <laughs> where you know someone gives money, you put their name up, and then they never cut the check. Um, I think now is making sure that you do have the money before you start doing anything, and this money that's been earmarked for the IPF can't go to save the programs because unless it was unrestricted dollars given to uh, <clears throat> given to the department, it's got to go to what it was des- designated for. Um, so right. I, I know that thoughts crossed a few people's minds. Well, can they just move the money? They can't. Um, and even though it's privately funded, the, again, the optics of building an IPF right now, given everything it just is not great and i think the the message or you know the true meaning of you know well it's privately funded it will get lost in the shuffle and the um conversations with you know national this would be national news hey a lot of colleges are cutting sports they're furloughing they're closing down entire universities but hey usf is building a practice facility for football it's not that's not going to fly um, I, I've heard, uh, you know, prior to this outbreak of COVID-19, you know, early summer, midsummer was probably a good estimation. I think they just, they just keep kicking that can down, down the street because Michael Kelly's not stupid. He's not going to do something that could um, negatively affect uh, this school in any way. Um, and something else to, to keep in mind is, is that you talk about the, the bond so the bond isn't run. It's not like a public bond. It's, a, it, it's basically, they run the money through the foundation. And the foundation basically loans against the value of the asset at 4%. So basically, the reason is, is because if you build a football practice facility on your campus, it's worth X amount of dollars to you, and it costs Y amount of dollars to build. But like you can't go to a bank and, and get a mortgage on it because... like the bank can't repossess a football practice facility and get near the value that it costs for you to build it because that's just not how it works. It's not commercial property. So um, basically, and the notes are around 4%. USF was carrying four notes last I checked, one for uh, the roof on the dome, one for baseball, softball, one for Corbett. And I forget what the fourth one, maybe Selman still might be paying on Selman. Um, the, so the, there were four notes that were being paid. I, one was close to being done. So that might be done by now. I haven't checked on I think probably at least like a year or two. Um, and so they could, you know, pick up and, and add a fourth note. But basically, you, you run that money through the foundation. Well, the foundation only has a certain amount of credit to give out. The USF um, foundation endowment is 500 and some million dollars, I believe. It's like high fours, low fives might be a little down right now because of the way the markets are across the world. Um, so they only have a certain amount of credit that they can allocate. Some of the priorities of the university might not be to have that run through athletics. There might be other more academically uh, important um, things that go more to the core mission of the university that might need to be funded with that same line of credit and that same money. I don't know. Um, but you know, I, there was a time in my life where I could totally get in the weeds on this and give you like, you know, chapter and verse. I don't have that right now. I don't think anyone has that right now just because they don't know what the new reality is. So these are all things that need to be considered before shovel goes in the ground for IPF. But I, I still think, you know, we're, once we get a vaccine, 
Do we put a shovel in the ground? I think pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, staying on the subject of football, you know, Michael Kelly did discuss, uh, you know, bring phasing the students back in and and you know having workouts uh, with you know ten players max and bringing the fall sports in. That's the priority right now. Making sure the people who are essential to the department are inside the department. So your trainers, maybe some academic folk, the the coaches, the players, obviously, but bringing them in, you know safely and i i think uh that's going to be key here you can work out in groups of 10 um it's not it's still again it's still going to be very weird but i it's better than nothing um and then when the full team gets back six weeks has been the kind of good time frame for football for practice and everything and that's not too far off from the 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 amount of practice you would get for spring and then for fall camp, I think you maybe miss a week or two with that, um, you know, everything being equal. Uh, but, you know, Jeff Scott said in a, a Zoom meeting a couple weeks ago that he could probably have the team ready in four weeks. So, well, we'll see. Um, thoughts, feelings on bringing these students back? Uh, you know, they, Michael Kelly mentioned previously that the entire student body doesn't have to be back for the student athletes to be back. Is there, what's your sense on, on that, the optics, the, you know, the actual feasibility of doing that? So, uh, I got a real, this is my personal, you know, uh, issue here. I got a real problem with any college bringing unpaid labor back before they're bringing back everybody. Um, but I just understand the economic realities of business and I get it. Um, so uh, I'm not a huge fan of what's being done nationally. Um, and I, I think there's a risk to reward ratio there that we just don't know, but I, I you know, I'm not an immunologist either. So I don't want to speak in a, what the medical risks are on, on something like this. Um, I just don't have that kind of data. Um, I, the other issue that I have, and I, and something that I, I wrote about for, for DK um, but haven't really seen covered. And I just don't understand why nobody's running with this. Like you brought back three sports, football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Okay. Well, you said it was in the safe, in the best interest of the athletic department and for the safety of the athletes involved. Well, if it's for the safety of the athletes involved, you need to bring back field hockey players, soccer players, volleyball players, because those are fall sports. Basketball is a winter sport. Okay. And if you're going to bring, if you're saying it's in the best interest of student athletes to be on campus, then bring back the student athletes that are the closest to competition and to bring back men's basketball and women's basketball and not bring back volleyball and field hockey. And there's, I think there's five fall sports, volleyball, field hockey, cross country, football, and soccer and men's and women's. And Bring them back too. Right now, USF can't bring men's and women's soccer on campus or volleyball on campus because the NCAA hasn't permitted it. That's crazy to me. And I don't understand why this hasn't become more of a story. If, it's, if they're safer on campus, then bring them on campus. If they're not safer on campus, don't make up some bullshit and then bring the basketball players back too. That's crazy. It makes... It, 
You know, it's almost like they're full of shit about the amateurism and that it's not all about the money. I'm just <laughs> saying maybe on some level, the NCAA has been full of shit about this the entire time. Just throwing you, it out there. You know what? You you may be onto something, Colin, because I think those three are the free revenue generating sports in all of college athletics. It's so strange that those are the three that they would pick to come back. Well, um, I think actually only two make money. The third, I think, is just for Title IX purposes. Is the only reason. <laughs> Eleven back, like you know, UConn, Tennessee, and and maybe one or two other programs. Nobody else, Oregon, South Oregon. Carolina. Nobody else making money. Um, and I think actually UConn lists like a loss on women's basketball, like millions of dollars every year. Even though that program's worth like way more than that, they they still pin the losses uh, on women's basketball even at UConn. So um, yeah, that's crap. And I, I just I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, personally, I, I again uh, bringing bringing in a, a, a team, um, you know, 105 guys plus, you know, the the what another 30 um, for men's and women's basketball combined. It seems dicey when the rest of the university is not on campus. USF has announced that they will have, you know, full you know in session classes in person. Uh, up until Thanksgiving break, and then it'll go back online. That's why, so why? Why like, though? I, I, look, I'm not. I'm not a doctor, and and I here's the thing. I think USF has access to some of the best doctors in the world. You know what I mean? Like medical school, top notch. And I saw the committee that they put together for all this stuff, and I was like, well, they they at least they brought out the heavy artillery. It's not like they're you know passing this down to like coordinator level. Um, so. And I can't imagine they're going to do anything in, to endanger the lives of, of students um, intentionally. I think they're going to do this thoughtfully, but the logic behind it is just sometimes tough to to really wrap your head around. And and you know they talk about a second wave potentially, and that's why you would after Thanksgiving send everybody home. Um, if the second wave is is possible, man, we live in Florida. It's hot on Thanksgiving. You know, like it's probably less likely to happen here than anywhere. Well, maybe we could stay open longer. You know, maybe we should move up a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Because let's catch, give me all that July heat, you know, for once a, a Florida 100 degree, 100 humidity day, it'll be a good thing. I, I, but again, I'm not a doctor, so I, I don't profess to know how to, how to make this work. But to a layperson, some of the decisions that get made, especially at the NCAA level, have just befuddled me. And I, at a university level, I just don't have enough information. Yeah, and I want to be clear here at the board. It's not a USF only kind of thing that we're not at all. questioning. It's the, the entire process of this. Um, you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry. And I, I don't want you know, God forbid one of the players gets COVID and then they transmit it to, you know, two or three other teammates. And it's, you know, the getting enough testing to get everyone into the building and testing them every day, that seems expensive. Um, it seems time consuming. Um, that's another, well, is the university going to be footing that bill? Is that an athletic department bill that they're going to have to come up with? These are all questions that need to be answered still when they start to bring everyone back. I mean, you know, we love football, you know, just as much as the next person, but doing it safely, um, 
you know, is, is the proper way to go about this. And I know a lot of players are vocal on Twitter and, you know, Instagram about either wanting to come back or being safe and being socially distant. I think USF's done a great job of, you know, showing that the players are doing their part and being distant and, and, you know, staying active and, you know, hanging out with their families. They, they're posting videos all the time. And I just want to make sure that they make the right decision for everyone, not just for the dollar. And I believe USF will. Do I believe the NCAA will? Not, not a shot. Not a shot in hell. Uh, they've missed March Madness. They're not going to miss bowl season. Yeah. And I, here's the thing. So I had this discussion today. I, I, my boss who, um, is no, has forgotten more about the NFL than I'll ever know. Um, but he's not really a big college sports guy. And so sometimes when I'm talking about college and I, I was trying to explain to him that, uh, college football, TV revenue is huge. Obviously it pays for the SEC network and things like that. But like, the downstream schools really kind of need the gate revenue to make football work. But you can kind of make basketball work without people in the stands uh, for two reasons. One, the NCAA tournament pays so much. And two, like, there's a lot of schools that, like, don't really do well on gate and still do fine. Like, you know, of the 350-some schools in D1, I'm going to bet 280, 290 lose money on gate for basketball by the time you open up the facility and, and everything. So like you could probably get away with playing basketball a lot easier than you could get away with playing football. You could still play tournaments on neutral sites. Hell, they're going to move the damn NBA to, or the NHL likely to Vegas. You can play NHL hockey in Vegas. You might be able to play college basketball in Vegas. Um, there are still probably more ways to work out a, a college basketball season than still like, get that underway on time, especially because it wouldn't start even on time until late October, early November. And we're going to have more data about the disease by then. College football, it's, it's more, there's some more gate revenue there as well that needs to be worried about for some schools. Um, so how the, the financials of that break down, I don't know. I don't know how this damn thing's going to work. Um, but I have... I will say that USF is probably better positioned than most because, you know, if mm-hmm. if, we're, if we don't have to pay to rent Ray J, that's that's money you ain't got to spend. And um, for every ticket you don't sell, guess what? Every ticket USF sells to a football game right now, two dollars and fifty cents, right off the top goes to Tampa Sports Authority. Well, <laughs> ain't got to worry about that now, <laughs> right? So. Um, if, if, you know, and Michael said that we probably wouldn't play in Corbett, it sounded like he was definitely leaning towards playing in Ray J. I promise you Ray J is going to charge a hell of a lot less if they don't open up the stands, the club section and the press box and all that kind of stuff. And they all paint the field. Um, you're going to save a few bucks there too. So there, the position that USF is in will be fine nationally. I just, I don't see how you can play, uh, a big 10 season in in front of empty stand. I, I just, I don't see it. Uh, we'll find out, but I, I'm, I'm just not seeing it right. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. It, again, it's just a whole bunch of question marks, but I think, you know, Michael Kelly kind of calmed some nerves, uh, you know, today I know he kind of went on a little media tour. So it was, it was nice of him to kind of stop by and uh, you know, chat. We talked about the, the, you know, NIL, uh, you know, wave, and he seemed 
pretty on board, but uh, it's another thing that they're going to have to figure out. And sooner, I think this is probably going to get passed sooner rather than later. I know the the Power Five schools went and pleaded with Congress today of all days, uh, given everything that's literally going on in the world, uh, for them to, hey, can you make the decision for us because we don't know what we're doing? That's crazy. Like, make some freaking decision. You know what I mean? Get This is why people are sort of leaning towards the thought of maybe the Power Five splits off and they hire like a college football commissioner. Because... Power, you know, Power Five looks like they could use some Adam Silver leadership right now, and uh, it wouldn't stun me if that is part of the direction here. Um, as somebody pointed out, though, Power Five can't split off and just play themselves because then they can't get seven home games. <laughs> so they're going to take some people with them, right. and to get some people with them, that probably is you know the first league that we'd go with would be the American. Um, it's probably not a great situation for the MAC and CUSA if they split off but I think the American would probably be pretty okay outside of like maybe Tulsa. Who's like, I did the underreported story here. The thing that nobody's talking about, are we sure Tulsa's going to still be a school in two years? after this? <laughs> they, were, they were having massive financial issues anyway. And the, the thing that they have on their side is they have a billion dollar endowment, like 5,000 students. So they and there are ways that you can tap the endowment if if the institution is on life support apparently what you can do is you like go to court and you say well if we can't tap the endowment for this we're gonna die anyway so then the, the basically the court allows you to dip into your own money is kind of how it works um and but there's a real concern that tulsa might not exist here pretty soon or they might get absorbed or like some sort of merger and acquisition type of deal because they're in deep, deep shit, and nobody's talking about it. Yeah, uh, the, I think the the lay of the land within the American, within CUSA and the Sun Belt over the next mm, two or three years, I think it's going to be a lot different. They've discussed, uh, you know, CUSA and the Sun Belt kind of joining forces, and I know the Law Tech AD is just, he's he ain't about it. He's not about that life. He doesn't want anything to do with ULL or ULM and uh, he doesn't want anything to do with the Sunbelt and I, I don't blame him. It's an inferior conference kind of across the board. Um, and you know, they've, they've done well for themselves. I believe their men's and women's basketball teams are pretty good. At least men's is, I think. Um, and somehow it must be a USF thing because Kit Poltz is doing well there. So <laughs> So the, the thing with the thing with CUSA and Sunbelt is CUSA brings the markets and Sunbelt brings the passion. So like Sunbelt schools, you know, we all make fun of Louisiana Lafayette and Lamo, but like App State, Georgia Southern, those fans show up and they give a damn. And they've got like a hardcore, you know, small market, but diehard, they got a lot of diehard institutions there. USA brings the markets, but like nobody goes to the games. Like FAU, FIU, Rice, like crickets. So maybe a merger of those two could like help each other solve some of the problems. I I don't hate the idea. Kind of, maybe a little bit, because um, they could they could sort of help 
bring each other together. The, the reason they're doing it, though, is travel. Um, I hate what we're looking at doing in terms of travel. Um, you could be looking at sports like, you know, volleyball and, um, you know, soccer, maybe only playing a couple of conference games a year and then just going straight into a tournament scenario at the end of the season um, where you're not playing a full schedule and traveling across the country. So you would be playing like, okay, so volleyball, you usually play about 28, 29 games a season and you have a certain amount of dates and sometimes you do double headers. Well, now you might be looking at like one weekend you go to Tallahassee and you play five teams and you take a bus back. And then the next weekend you go to Orlando and you play five teams and you take a bus back. And next weekend it's your floor and the following weekend you're in Miami. And a lot of the times you're going to be playing the same teams, but you're staying much more regionalized and everybody else is sort of staying regionalized with you. And then at the end of the season, you do fly everybody to one location for a tournament. And I think that's kind of where they're looking at going to, to keep costs down. I think that sucks. Um, it sucks for the student athlete. It sucks for the experience. It sucks for the competitiveness of the sport because you're not going to know which teams are better because you're not going to get, you know, this whole thing about basketball teams going to 20 conference games. But the problem is, is that you only play 27 or 27 to 29 games in men's basketball. So if you're not playing across conferences, you don't know who the good teams are. You don't know who the good conferences are. And it gets even worse than the Olympic sports because they don't get enough travel and crossover already. And they're going to make that worse. Yeah. So, I think it sucks. And, and I would not that I'm for cutting sports, but I would much rather have teams be able to play a more complete schedule than not. And, and I, I just don't want to see the travel, you know, the travel in the, the Americans kind of ridiculous and we're sort of the exception. Um, but I don't want to see that become like the trend in college athletics. I think, you know, I think it sucks that the, men's baseball team hasn't really been able to get a good road three game series on the West coast against some good California teams in the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. It sucks that Kenny, you know, gets that one tournament out in Arizona for softball, but otherwise he's got to host everybody or else he can't get good games. And that's just, right. and it's just going to get that. It's just going to be worse for everybody. If we right. Play. And that's, that's the word, you know, they, they, they've discussed, you know, NCAA, other pundits have discussed maybe just completely regionalizing the, the Olympic sports. Baseball, softball already kind of do that. You know, your midweek games are JU, Bethune, FAMU. Maybe you get the one-off against Florida State. And now, you know, your three-game weekend series against the Maris or the Hartfords or, you know, uh, Illinois State for, for softball, who's, I think, opened the season against USF like eight years in a row now down here in Tampa, you don't, you don't get that. Maybe Michigan doesn't come down for, for softball. You miss the, those top tier schools because well, you got to stay within, you know, Florida, maybe venture up to Georgia, Alabama, but somewhere where either you're just staying at night and you can come back. So you're not spending in the hotels and, you know, for baseball, uh, you know, USF, you know, they've got to compete against Miami. Florida State, Florida, if that's just who you're going to be playing, you know, week in, week out, and then you go to the NCAA regionals and you're playing them again, it's not really right. – it's not, it's not great. You know, same with women's basketball, doing the same exact thing. You're going to Tallahassee or Gainesville regardless, and now you're just adding them even more to the schedule. I worry about that. But, I mean, I, I guess doing that's better than not having the sport. 
uh, but yeah. it'd be a lot less fun. Um, and I think, you know, when women's basketball plays Ohio State, like that's a lot of fun. When Kit goes off and lights them up, lights Ohio State up for 40 or whatever she did, that's just a lot of fun. LSU comes down. Um, it's a lot of fun to to live in that atmosphere. So it's it sucks. It's it's fun to go to Cancun and and Las Vegas and for the fans. Like you know, I went to that tournament in Vegas in December in, in with women's basketball. There were a hundred and some of us out there who flew all the way across the country to go watch women's basketball. Like that's awesome. That's great for the university. Like you know, it sucks that we're sort of getting this. You know, it's going to end up being regionalized, and I think that's going to be the first thing that goes. And I. I just hope that there's a way around it because, you know, if you're playing, if we're going to call this big boy division one athletics, that means you should be national. We talk about being nationally competitive, not regionally competitive, nationally competitive. And to do that, you need to be able to go to play a national schedule. And, you know, I, I just, I worry about that impact on, um, on, you know, we always bitch about the, like you said, about the NCAA tournament. Well, it sucks that we get run up every year. And what do we always say that the NCAA should do? The NCAA should nationalize the damn tournament so that, you know, teams get seated appropriately across the nation so they have the best chance to, to you know, play a, a bracket that's fair. It's just going to get worse. And that sucks. That, that does suck. And I think that's kind of where we, where we are today. Uh, again, it is, it's late May. Things can change during the summer. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, I, I can't even say for sure that, there's nothing we can say for certain. Uh, I don't know if USF will even play at Texas. Uh, we have literally no idea. I know that I'm sure the two governors of those two states will make sure that happen, but who knows? I got a hotel room in Austin. I don't think I'm going to be there. I don't think, I mean, maybe as media, maybe I could go on a credential, but I think if I was just like a ticket buying person, I don't know if I'd be able to get uh-huh. a ticket. You know, Bush Gardens is opening, I believe, June 11th. Uh, Disney World's opening July 11th. I'm not sure if I will be at either place before 2020 is over. I that and this seems like even now, like you know, I live in you know where I live in the restaurant district. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I I I went to CVS tonight on my bike, and I saw these people outside in restaurants, and I'm like, there's. It's like the distancing isn't even, I understand you're outside, like on a patio or whatever, but like, you're not, the distancing isn't happening, you know? And it's like people get outside and they figure, oh, it's fine. It might not be fine, you know? I'm not saying you need to live in a hermit bubble, you know? I went to the store, you know? But like, trying to, uh, I don't know, man. I'm just. Just because the states are open doesn't mean the virus is gone. Right. I think that's just been lost. Well, you know, lockdown's lifted. I can go out. Mm, let's, should let's you though? Should you? Uh, should you? Know, you? I, I know you can, but should you? And, uh, you know, all of these people are either not taking it seriously and are, I want my sports back. Well, I promise you, this will delay it. If there's another spike or if there's a second wave, or, you know, we haven't flattened the curve nearly enough to safely bring fans in at 25%, 50%, what have you. This is a direct result. What you're doing today will affect college football and the rest of athletics, uh, you know, four months from now. So just be mindful uh, is what I 
can suggest. You know, I went, you know, I went golfing last weekend. We, we all, it was three of us. We all had our own carts. We stayed away from each other. You can, you can go outside. You can go to the beach. That is perfectly fine. Stay away from everyone. Don't gather in large groups. Don't go to the Ozarks and party in a pool. That's 90% P and then 10% coronavirus. As uh, my wife said on Twitter the other day, don't, don't do that. You can go out. You can, you know, I think you can, it's, you know, shoot hoops. Don't play a game, but you can shoot around. Right. Yeah. And, and well, they took, they took the rims off the, the, the ones in the city of Tampa parks. So there's no rooms on the backboards right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> you should you should all live in the cul-de-sac and have a hoop of your own because I've been putting up like 400 shots a week. My shoulder's <laughs> correct. My I it, for sure I torn my rotator cuff. I, <laughs> Just get shot. up shots. <laughs> my yeah, like, looks good now though. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Just firing bombs. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I <laughs> somebody asked me if you could bet on um, when the college football season will reopen. I do. I think that game in at Texas gets played. I I definitely think that's much more likely now than I did a month ago. Um, it seems like it's trending in that direction. Do I think they'll have fans in the stands for that game? Man, do you do you? I mean, it's I Texas, so probably they'll probably have like twenty five percent, maybe fifty. If it, if it's twenty five or fifty percent, like even that might not be i, I think know. if this game was in tampa uh the the mayor of tampa would have something to say about it i can assure for sure that. mayor of austin might too i mean that city you know <laughs> they have it's a pretty progressive place itself but um yeah i would be very i i did notice that uh both rick kreisman and jane castor both said to potentially the republican convention being moved to tampa uh, no, no, hell no, and no chance. Uh, <laughs> considering how what an economic boon it was for this place in 20, 2012? 2012 it was here? That we, this city made a lot of money on that. The fact that they're just like in, out of hand rejecting it right now, I think is a pretty clear indication of how the city of Tampa is operating. Yep. Um, I think that's it for us. Uh, again, appreciate Michael Kelly for coming on and discussing basically the state of USF athletics during coronavirus. Colin, I appreciate you, uh, you know, staying up late to finish recording this and, you know, powering through uh, my power outage. And I, luckily, this thing got saved. So uh, appreciate it. Um, stay safe. Wash your hands. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.